morning. Uh, we've been praying for the Romains, Jonathan and Hannah Romain. They're missionaries in Spain. Their son had, um, they discovered a, uh, a brain tumor in the stem of his brain. And we've been praying for the family. They decided to uh, go back for like a two-week missions trip to Spain. And uh, praise the Lord, they arrived safely. And they've had a bunch of opportunities where they've been able to uh, share the gospel, share the hope that they have in Jesus Christ to uh, unsaved friends and neighbors and so forth. So it's been a, a neat opportunity. I would encourage you to continue to pray for the family, specifically as they are sharing the gospel and uh, as people are listening to that, the Spirit would work in them and uh, they would be saved. We are in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, last week we looked at verses 6 and 7, uh, but we're going to go ahead and read 6 through 14 again. Ephesians chapter 5, 6 through 14. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. This is the Word of the Lord. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because, uh, because of these things the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all dark and goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. By all things become, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that it becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, we, we all come here with uh, situations and burdens and things that are heavy on our hearts because of either last week or because of what's coming up this next week. And Father, they can be times of distraction when we would need to be focusing on your word. I pray now that as we look at your word, that your spirit would use your word to change our hearts. Father, many of us have given excuses for sins that we've committed for years, and I pray that your spirit would work through that. Father, I pray that there would be humility, that we would accept it, Father, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. May be seated. Sometimes change can catch us uh, by surprise. And we looked at that last week. That sometimes things happen and, and an individual does not anticipate all that is involved in that change. But uh, the idea that planning every possible situation uh, that's not really realistic. You can't plan for all the uh, variations and all the different things that might happen. 
But knowing where you're at, your reality, where you're at, uh, determines a little bit how you do plan. For example, if you live in San Jose, Costa Rica, uh, you should plan for earthquakes. I mean, that's, that's just something you need to do. I mean, that's just, you need to be anticipating, you need to have a plan, you have to teach your kids, what do you do in case of an earthquake? But if you live in Puerto Ordaz, Venezuela, you don't have to worry about earthquakes. You don't. It's on this huge rock, and every once in a while you'll feel something, but it's, it, it's nothing. You don't have to worry about that. That's not something you have to teach your kids. If you live in Galveston, you should probably have a plan for what to do in a case of a hurricane. I mean, that's just, it, it's your reality. It, it's, it's what it is. But if you live in Montana, you, you probably don't need a hurricane plan. You don't need to have an evacuation plan. And th this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to get out of here. And based on your reality, you should make plans. Now, I'm not talking about a made-up reality or, or uh, something you wish was your reality, but rather as to the circumstances, to the being, to where you're living, et cetera, et cetera. That reality, you should make plans. Now, sometimes we want to ignore our reality and come up with a new reality. And it's absurd when we do that. It's like buying snow equipment if you live in Cuba. Like, what are you going to do with that? It's, it, it's worthless. Or, or buying like um, Hawaiian shirts if you live in the North Pole. Uh, you have to kind of look at the reality of where you're at and make decisions based on that. And, and it would only be a fool who uh, would ignore the reality the change, what has happened, and continue living as they did before. It would just be a fool. Now, Paul has presented a radical change that has happened in the life of the believer, those who are in Christ. Paul presents a radical change here in Ephesians through uh, the work of God, and really it's a mystery what has been presented. On one side, he presents that God has adopted this is the work of God. He has adopted. Not only has he adopted, but Christ has redeemed. And the Spirit has sealed. Those are works of God. And then also he says in chapter 2, verse 8, that a person believes. And that's how they have this salvation. It's a mystery how all this gets ironed out. But this is a radical change that has happened in the life of the individual, of those who are found in Christ. Now, uh, sometimes uh, a lot of emphasis has put on, on evangelism, of sharing the good news, of how a person can change. But not so much information has given on how do you live based on this radical change that has happened in your life. What should you do based on these truths? Uh, so uh, some have uh, felt such a necessity to just spread the gospel and share the gospel that they've uh, to, to, to kind of speed up the discipleship process, they've, they've made a list of, of do's and don'ts. They share the gospel, a person fills out a card, and they say, here, do this. And so there's the card, and it has do this and this and this and that. Don't do this, this and this and this. Go here, don't go over here. And that's the Christian life. But what we've seen Paul presenting here uh, is not really a list of do's and don'ts per se, there are certain categories of, 
of turning from and, and doing this. But it involves a uh, walking in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called for one. It, it's no longer walking as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. 4.17. To, to walk in love as Christ loved in 5.2. And then we're going to see another is to walk in light. Now, what we saw last week is that those who are in Christ must believe God's word. And we tend to believe God's word when it's convenient to us. Kara uh, uh, and I are fighting. and She's angry with me. I mean, she's angry. And I self-righteously say, be angry, but sin not. See how I use that verse? I'm so super spiritual. Or uh, another situation arises, and, and we're going at it, and something's going on, and all of a sudden I say, don't judge me, lest you be judged. Like, you know, that, that doesn't really work to do that. Sometimes we want to follow Scripture when it's convenient to us. But that's not what it's presenting here. Uh, Paul is presenting a way of living that is accepting God's word as an authority for your life. In other words, that as you read this text, it's something that you're supposed to apply to your life to live it out. And it presents us with some things that are incredibly difficult. Chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor. It keeps on going down, and it says over there in verse 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Oh, but you don't know what she has done to me. I can't apply this verse. You don't know what she's done. You don't know what he's done. I cannot forgive him like Christ forgave me. If we're going to believe God's word, we have to. Now, what we're going to be looking at today is the same proposition of last week, which those who are in Christ must walk in all things good, righteous, and true. And that's the proposition because that's the text that we're looking at, 6 through 14. Those who are in Christ must walk in all things good, righteous, true. And so we saw last week that those who are in Christ must believe God's word, and today we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Those who are in Christ must walk in light. They must walk in light. Uh, verse 8, he says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Uh, so he establishes a historical distinction between what is present and what was past. He, pre he presents a, 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 a historical change that has happened. And he says, uh, for, which gives a clarification, you were, as it says there, uh, verse 8, you were. Now, there's different ways of explaining the past in, in Greek. You can have a, a past that is uh, a certain point in time, like something happened just that one time. Uh, one time I 
I, uh, I don't know, I ate a tamale. So that was one time, it wasn't like every day I'm doing this thing. Uh, one time I ate a tamale. But you can also have a different type of past tense uh, that is not just a snap, uh, not just a picture, but it can be more like the idea of a, of a picture, which, which covers the whole uh, time period of the past. So if that's the present over there, you have a whole moving section of something that uh, would define that past life, that whole section. And this is the type of verb that's being used here. This is the tense that's being used, that it's not just at a specific point, but it's the whole way of living in the past. And how was that living in the past? It says, you were formerly darkness. That was your natural state. You, uh, you didn't sin and become a sinner, but rather you were in darkness. That, that's the natural state. That, that's the way you were. This idea of, of darkness has a spiritual or moral darkness to it where there's no light in it. It occurs a bunch of times in the New Testament, some 31 times. For example, it occurs in Matthew chapter 4, verse uh, 16. Uh, you remember it says, The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death upon them a light dawned. It's talking uh, using a quote from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, referencing that uh, without Christ, they're in darkness. Christ comes, and now there's light upon them. Uh, it, it's also mentioned in John chapter 3, verse 19. Now, if we go over there, John chapter 3, uh, of course, we know verse 16. We use that for uh, sharing the gospel. Uh, but then it, he keeps on developing a little bit about uh, what individuals need to do and so forth. So, um, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Uh, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him. Uh, has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. So <laughs> the natural condition, unless the Holy Spirit works in the life of the individual, the natural condition is you have darkness, and light comes in, and people will flee from the light and go into further darkness. That's our natural condition, unless God works in our life. That's the natural thing that happens. So darkness here is, is not a good thing, but he tells them, you, you were, going back to Ephesians chapter 5, this, is, this was your former way of being, your natural state. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He's writing and he says to those who are scattered abroad, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called out, summons out, invited to come out and to be in light. Now, now thinking about this, 
It's not that we did something wrong and therefore we moved into darkness. That wasn't the case. We're born in sin and it separates us. It separates us from God. But now here is the, uh, the contrast that we see there in verse 8. But now, but now, it's a change. This is what you were, but now you are light in the Lord. Light. The way that we are light is by this little prepositional phrase, in the Lord. As in, not in yourself. As in, you have to be properly related to the Lord to be in this light. Now, the idea of light in the scriptures is a fascinating thing to study. Uh, you can start off uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and, and see that at, at the beginning they separate light from darkness. Uh, and there's no type of moral connotation to that at all because uh, he, at the end of the day, what does God say about it? It, it was good. Good. So there's nothing wrong with the light. There's nothing wrong with the darkness. He's, he's, he's separated the two out, so there's light and darkness. But as you start reading through the scriptures, uh, you get to the plagues in Egypt. And all of a sudden, there's something that changes, because in that plague, you see that Egypt uh, is in darkness, whereas the children of Israel have light. And furthermore, as as they are going through the wilderness, there's a big pillar of light at the nighttime for the, the children of Israel to guide them. It, it, you can keep on searching through that and see this motif, this theme, as it progresses through scriptures that in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6 and 49, verse 6, that there's this uh, anticipating the servant of Israel that will come and bring light unto the nations. That, that theme gets picked up in the book of Acts and then gets pushed forward through the epistles, that there's an anticipation. And then when you get to the book of Revelation, you see a sharp distinction between those who are saved and they are in a city that needs no sun because the sun is there. There's light forevermore. And those who are cast out into utter darkness. Uh, there's a huge motif that goes all through Scripture. And those who are properly related to the Lord, in the Lord, are this light. And what are they supposed to do? Here's the imperative. Walk. Walk to conduct yourself as children of light. To behave in this manner. This is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to live in this way, conduct themselves, behave in light rather than in darkness. Now, there's fruit. There's evidence for this. If you're doing this, it will show itself in a certain way. And we see that in verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So there we go. We have some evidence of what it will be like if you are doing this. The, the fruit is going to show itself. It's going to be a product. Now, uh, fruit doesn't produce its roots, right? <laughs> Roots are there, and because of this root, it produces certain fruits. So there has to be a reality. It's not like you, you go out and try to do this in your life so that you can be saved. Rather, this is evidence of a fact that a person is saved, that they do these things. It shows that they are walking in the light. So what are those things? Well, 
all that's good. This is a, a positive moral quality characterized especially by interest in the welfare of others. So this is a, a particular word, and it has this idea of a positive moral quality characterized by interest in the welfare of others. It's only used four times in the New Testament. Uh, outside of our text here, we see it in Romans chapter 15, verse four, uh, 14. Uh, Paul's writing to them, and he tells them that he, he knows about their goodness and that uh, it's evidenced by the fact of how they're behaving. Their knowledge of the Lord is made evidence through their behavior, the things that they're doing, how they're caring for one another. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Goodness is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that the person tries to go out and, and tries to be good, but rather it's the Spirit working through them and it produces this goodness, this welfare, this interest for other people. You also see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. If you look at it contextually, the believers are going through persecution. They're trying to serve the Lord and there's people persecuting them for that. So they're suffering. And what's interesting is that Paul prays for them that God would count them worthy and fulfill every desire for goodness because that goodness that they're doing is that even though they are being persecuted, they're still going out and serving those who are persecuting them. Incredible. I mean, <laughs> you hit me, I'm going to hit you back, right? I mean, that's what we teach our kids. Hit them with two fists, right? That's what we do. And when they fall down, kick them. But what is evidence from Paul of these believers is that as they're being persecuted, they're demonstrating goodness towards those who are attacking them. The other thing that we see is righteousness. This is uh, the quality or state of, um, uh, of being just or fair to acting responsibly. To acting responsibly. It, it, it's presented here as the second one. Now, this word occurs a bunch of times, some 92 times in the text. In, in Ephesians, it's already occurred in chapter 4, verse 24. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. It also will be used later on in Ephesians 4, uh, uh, 6, 14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, it occurs, if you were to look at a, a graphic analysis of where it occurs the most, this word occurs the most in Romans. And it has this idea of, uh, it can have this idea of being uh, declarative, like, you're declared righteous. It, it, it can have that meaning. And, uh, for example, it appears in James, and in James it has in both sense of being declared righteous and also a way of living and action that a person does. Uh, for example, James chapter 2, verse 23, it says, The Spirit uh, was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. This is a declarative. He was declared righteous. He still sinned a bunch of times, but by faith he was declared righteous. 
But then we can see in James chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And the seed uh, whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here's a, a lifestyle. This is a way of acting. This is not something being declared upon the person, but rather their actions are righteous actions. They're good. They're fair. And then the last thing is truth. Truth. Now, it's appropriate for truth to be in this thing because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. It, it would seem uh, crazy that you're going to say, well, I follow Christ, who is truth, but I'm going to say false things. Or I'm going to follow Christ, who's truth, but I'm going to be disingenuous. Uh, it it, it kind of goes together, one with the other, does it not? Now, now thinking about this a little bit, you think about uh, how sometimes we, com we communicate a truth that's convenient to us. And something that will paint us in a good picture. I'll use, for example, Genesis chapter 37, 18 through 16. Joseph's brothers had sold him. They'd taken his coat, and they killed a goat, and they dipped it in the blood, ripped it up a little bit. And then they presented the garment to their father. And he came to a conclusion. Oh, wild animal came, killed my son. Huh, that's what he believes. I'm sorry, father. It wasn't truth. They weren't living in truth. Not at all. Fortunately, believers go around with telling each other half-truths with a lack of charity towards one another. Now, as we see this, we want to apply this. Because those who are in Christ must walk in light. That, that's what a person is do. If the person is in Christ, their status has changed. And based on that status, that reality of them has changed. They're a new person. They're a new creature. They should live differently. So how should we walk? Well, we should walk in light by leaving the darkness in the past. We should walk in light by leaving the darkness in the past. Paul presents their past as being dark. And it's their natural state, but something has happened. And, and the fact that what has happened is that they are now saints. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 1. He, after he introduces himself, he says, To the saints who are at Ephesus. How do they become saints? Well, we see it in, in chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a free gift of God. Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 13, it talks about this mystery, this current dispensation that the Gentiles and the Jews are in Christ, something that wasn't known before, that's a, a reality now. A fool is a person who returns to their folly. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, it gives a very vivid illustration. You remember about the dog? 
What does the dog do? The dog returns to its vomit. It was nasty the first time, but then it goes back and eats it. And that's how a fool is with their folly. A Christian would have to be a fool to continue going back to what was in the past. It had to be a fool to continue going back to seeking pleasure. Last time it wasn't pleasurable, but I know this time it will be. So I'm going to go find delight in it. No. You leave the past behind you. You shouldn't be characterized by darkness. It shouldn't be what people think about you. Now you have to ask yourself, why do you go back to that? Is it because you're not delighting yourself in the Lord? Is it that you're not praising and thanking Him for His greatness? Is it that you're not meditating on His character and who He is? Or are you just always thinking about something else? A a fool that continues and persists is called a, a scorner. And there's no hope for the scorner. You beat the scorner to help the fool. But there's no hope for the scorner. Do you find a light in the Lord? Leave the, leave the darkness behind. If you are in Christ, leave it behind you. Now we are to walk in light by living in Christ. Now this, this has a, a double type of uh, application to it. Your light is dependent on Christ. As you see there in verse 8, uh, you are, uh, n- but now you are light in the Lord. That, that's not of yourself. There's been a notion, an idea that uh, people kind of have this little spark. And, and if you parent correctly that, that little spark, it can grow into this flame and this person's going to be this outstanding citizen. Or, or maybe, maybe if you give them education, if you give the masses education, if you just teach them, then they will be these these moral individuals that will move out of just the crime and everything else, and, and, and they'll be these wonderful moral people. Or, or <laughs> some people put uh, hope in, in jobs. If we give the masses jobs, I mean good jobs with pensions and health insurance and, and, and the boss man at the door as they're leaving saying, thank you for making this company great. Then they'll have the self-esteem and and they'll go home and, and they'll be great parents and great citizens. Then there's some really, really I, weird ideas where people think if we get the right politicians, that's what we need. We need the right politicians. If we get the right politicians, we'll be a moral nation. We'll be an example to the rest of the world and they'll just want to follow us. That's not it at all. It's only in being associated with the light, with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can walk in light. That's the only way. You can educate a person, and they can be a better thief. You you, you can get all the politicians you want, and it won't be good. Because there's this darkness that's there, this sinfulness It's a dependence on Christ. Now, not only is it a dependence on Christ, but your light is brightest as you're closer to Christ. Your light is brighter as it's closer to Christ. 
I've seen individuals, individuals who don't have a full copy of God's Word translated in their language. But every day they choose to follow Christ rather than themselves. Every day they choose to, to, to follow what is that they have rather than do what's in their desires. You say, well, Daniel, you don't understand the sin that's around me. Uh, people keep on pushing my buttons. Nobody's acting Christian-like to me. And the excuses go on and on and on why we don't shine. But our brightness depends on our closeness as we walk with Christ. Now, thinking about this a little bit, we also are to walk in Christ by doing good, righteous, and truthful. Uh, being part of the light produces a particular fruit in your life. It produces a particular fruit, one that can be inspected. In other words, we can look at your actions, the things that you do, and we can judge, we can judge your actions. And what should be being produced are actions that are good, righteous, and truthful. Now, we have become experts at trying to uh, uh, justify our actions sometimes, right? I'm not being selfish for eating all the ice cream. I was just trying to save Dave from the calories. I was helping him out. You can't say that I was being selfish. I was doing a good thing for him. What do you mean I go around screaming at people all the time? I have a righteous indignation, a holy fever for the Lord, and that's why I raise my voice at people. It's not that I'm angry all the time. No. I'm looking out for the best interest of the people. Truth. Here's the facts. But I can't tell the facts as there are because they look really bad on me, so I'm going to spin it a little bit. I'm going to give a little half-truth here with another little half-truth over here. And let's change the subject over here. Ha, ha, ha. What are our actions like? Are they, are they good actions? Are they righteous actions? Are they truthful actions? Can we inspect them? Will you bring them before us and have us take a look at it? Or will you... Well, you hide them. Defend yourself. Justify yourself. Say, no, you got it all wrong. See, a person who is walking in the light will produce a particular fruit. The question is, are you producing that fruit? Now, it might be that you're not producing that fruit because you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You've never gotten to the point where you realize that your sin separates you from the Lord. And, and, and you think that, man, you, you drive the speed limit and, and you pay most of your taxes and, and you, you hold the door open every once in a while and, and you're a good person. But that good person is not in the light because it's not associated with Christ. And therefore they can never become more like Christ and less like themselves because they are not in Him. How do you become in him? Through faith. Through believing what Jesus Christ did on the cross to save you. 
Maybe you are saved. But you've spent the last who knows how many years trying to portray a level of spirituality that you don't have. Maybe at one time you had it. Maybe you were up here, you were walking with the Lord. But little by little, pride has entered your heart. and Stiffened your heart. And rather than seeking goodness, you've sought your own goodness. Or at least you wanted to defend the image of your goodness. Or, or maybe you wanted to defend the image of your righteousness. And rather than confessing and seeking the Lord, you've hardened your heart. What a terrible place to be at. What do our actions show of our life? Because we can get all dressed up, but it means nothing. What we've been looking at today is that those who are in Christ must walk in all things good, righteous, and true. Now, you can't change last week. But if you were to look at your actions of last week, how many of those would you say this was a good action? This was a righteous action. This was a truthful action. How many would there? Would there be one? When I said this food is awful, it's a truthful statement. How would you look at Now you can't change last week. But what are you going to do for next week? I encourage you to bow your heads in prayer with me. Kirithi's going to come up and he's going to lead us in a song. But pray with me. Father, examine our hearts. There's no amount of rhetoric that can change us. There's no amount of sermon illustrations. There's no amount of song singing that can change our heart. Father, unless you do the work in us, there will be no change. We'll continue putting on a facade of, of good deeds, of righteousness and justice. I pray that you would do a, a deep surgery in us. Expose our heart. Show us those places that we need to change and that we will worshipfully and thankfully adore you. Walk in light and show evidence of that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you please stand with me as we sing this song of invitation?